Well, good morning and welcome to our Family Bible Hour. We're so glad that you have joined us this Sunday. Let me begin by extending greetings on behalf of my family, the Rajagopals, Pauls, and also on behalf of the elders here at First Colony Bible Chapel. I want you to know that we really miss being able to fellowship with you in person, but we're very glad to hear that everyone is doing well. I uh, want you also to know that we are praying for you, and we're also praying for the leadership of the country at all levels, federal, state, and local, and that we're also praying fervently for our first responders, those who are at the front lines in this pandemic, and we encourage you, uh, membership, to do the same. Now, I grew up in Toronto, Ontario, uh, which is in the central part of Canada. In our ninth grade English class, we studied a book by Charles Dickens called Great Expectations. Some of you may be familiar with it. Now, I'm not sure if it's part of the Texas high school curriculum. Uh, The book is set in 18th century England, and it's a story about a young man named Pip, who is a blacksmith's apprentice. Pip receives a tremendous fortune from a mysterious benefactor, And as a result of receiving that fortune, Pip is able to move about in the high society of London. Now, shortly before receiving that fortune, Pip meets and falls madly in love with a young woman named Estella. Uh, Unfortunately, Estella is from a much higher class, and so there's no way that she could be romantically involved with a blacksmith's apprentice. Pip comes to believe, however, that his mysterious benefactor is none other than Estella's guardian. And the purpose for the fortune is so that he can pursue and eventually marry Estella. Now, Pip spends a large part of his time trying to move up in London society to gain Estella's interest and affection. Uh, But it turns out that he is sadly mistaken about who the benefactor is and about the purpose of the fortune. And so he ends up wasting a lot of his time trying to pursue something that was never his ultimate destiny. I can't say that Great Expectations was a a tremendous read, but it certainly has a very important life lesson. None of us ever want to end up in a place where we come to realize that we have wasted our time and effort pursuing something that is not the best for us. And as a result, perhaps have missed out on something that was much, much greater. Let me give you a a personal example to illustrate. My dad was a really brilliant and capable man. He was actually the IT manager of a large company in Mumbai, India. Uh, When we were about eight years old, we moved from India to Canada because my dad had pretty much reached the pinnacle of his profession in India and he felt that there would be more opportunities for him to grow in North America. He started off with a position as a systems analyst and he earned a reputation for his excellent technical work. But my dad's dream was always to become a manager. And so he pursued uh, management training. He even completed an MBA and he was actually the valedictorian of his graduating class. Unfortunately, my dad didn't have the disposition or the personality to be a good manager, at least not here in North American culture. So he was never really seriously considered for a management position and never became a manager. Um, I always wonder what his career would have been if instead of pursuing management training, he had focused on his technical abilities. 
So this morning we're going to talk about God's ultimate destiny for the saints and what God is doing to prepare us for that destiny. Uh, The lesson that we hope to learn is how to make sure that we invest our energy, our time, our effort in ways that align with how God is preparing us. Before we do that, let's go ahead and look to the Lord in prayer. Our God and our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege that we have to look into your word. We thank you for this prophecy, this vision that you have given to the Apostle Daniel, and we thank you for the things that we can learn from it. We ask that your Holy Spirit would enlighten our minds this morning as we look into it, and that you would teach us from your word. Father, I just ask, Lord, that uh, you would use me, uh, that you would speak through me, and that you would meet the needs of the hearts and, and bless your people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so for the past several months, we have been going through the book of Revelation. We've looked at the first four chapters. This this week, actually, we're going to take a short break from the book of Revelation, and we're going to look at the book of Daniel, particularly Daniel chapter 7. So I would encourage you to turn there. Uh, While you're doing that, uh, the reason why we're looking at that book is that Daniel chapter 7 is prophetically significant. It's the first insight given in the Bible to the end times, particularly to the tribulation and to God's intervention and establishment of the final kingdom under the leadership of the Messiah, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. It also gives us some insight into the future of the saints, which of course includes you and me. Now next week we're going to go back to Revelation and we're going to look at John's vision, which covers some of the same ground, But, of course, that vision comes after the advent of the Lord Jesus. We're going to look particularly at verses 21 to 28 of Daniel chapter 7. So so go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. Uh, But before we do that, I want to give you a little context for that passage. In the first year of King Belshazzar of Babylon, the prophet Daniel receives a vision. That vision has three parts. The first part of the vision is an earthly scene. Daniel sees four beasts coming out of the sea. The first is like a lion with eagle's wings. The second was like a bear. The third was like a leopard with wings. And the fourth really couldn't be compared to any animal. Daniel just says that it was terrifying, dreadful, and strong. Now that beast had 11 horns, and the final horn was able to speak And it said great things, Daniel said. The second part of the vision is a heavenly scene. Daniel sees thrones set up and he sees the Ancient of Days come in and take a seat. There's a judgment that takes place and the final beast is killed and destroyed. And the other three beasts have their dominion taken away. And then there's this glorious scene where the Son of Man arrives and he is given the kingdom and everlasting dominion. Now, the third part of Daniel's vision is a brief interpretation of that vision. The four beasts, Daniel are told, are four kings that rise up from the earth. But the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and they will possess it forever. Now, Daniel isn't quite satisfied with the abbreviated version of the interpretation, so he asks for more detail. Daniel is particularly interested in a part of the vision that's recorded for us in verses 21 and 22. And they say this, As I looked, the horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. 
until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Now Daniel does receive a more detailed interpretation of the vision in verses 23 to 28, but we're going to look just at verses 25 to 27. And these verses are about the eleventh horn or the last or final king. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hands for a time, times, and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion will be taken away, to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and dominion and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Now, there are a couple of things that are worth noting about the vision and the interpretation. Uh, This vision is about real events, and it aligns pretty closely with the vision that King Nebuchadnezzar received and which Daniel interprets in chapter 2. Now, that vision was given when Daniel was a young man, probably a teenager. Now, this vision that he receives in chapter 7 comes much later, probably towards the end of Daniel's life. He's probably around 80 at this time. So it's important to notice that God is reaffirming the prophecy that was given in chapter 2. But we will see that he also adds a little something to it. Now Daniel's vision and interpretation convey some very important truths. First, we see that God has supreme authority for judgment and he sets the times for judgment. We see that in verses 25 to 26. God has ultimate power over every authority and ruler and he can remove and set up whomever he pleases. We see that in verses 11 to 14. In verses 13 to 14, we see that God's ultimate ruler is the Messiah, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 27, we see God's ultimate destiny for his saints is glory and dominion in the kingdom of the Messiah. But the path to that ultimate destiny includes hardship. We see that in verses 21 to 25. Now we read in verses 15 and 28 that Daniel is really troubled by this vision. Now you would think that receiving the interpretation would give him some encouragement and comfort and peace. But the last verse of this chapter tells us that he was actually more alarmed than the, at the end. Now we need to remember that Daniel is the same man who boldly refused Nebuchadnezzar's delicacies and instead asked for vegetables. He also bravely offered to recount and to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream when no one else was able to. So he is not a man who is easily perturbed. So why was he so alarmed here? Well, it's evident that it has something to do with that last horn or that final king, the one who was given dominion and allowed to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Now Daniel had seen the nation of Israel being taken captive and being overcome by its enemies as a result of their departure from God and their sin against him. But he knows that that reason doesn't apply to the saints. And this vision that he's seen indicates that at any time God could intervene and remove that hardship and the one who was causing it. So why does God choose to delay. 
Well, before we dig into that question, it's important to understand that the final part of this vision applies primarily to a time that is in the future. And that's in the future even for us. That final kingdom and that final horn align well with Revelation chapter 13, verses 5 to 8. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it for you. And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. So the events in this verse, these verses describe the tribulation period. By this time the church is taken up, but there will be saints on the earth. Those are Jews and Gentiles who have come to faith in the Messiah. And because of their refusal to worship the first beast, they are thrown into prison. And some of them are killed. Now, although this vision primarily pertains to that tribulation time period, its application is much broader. That connection between glory and hardship for the saints is not limited to the tribulation period. That connection is evident throughout the church age. And we see that the righteous suffer often at the hands of evil people. And that is happening even now. Uh, Here are some statistics from a website called Open Doors that were provided by an organization called World Watch, and they apply to the year 2019. Over 260 million Christians are living in places where they experience high levels of persecution. In 2019, almost 3,000 Christians were killed for their faith. Over 9,400 churches and other Christian buildings were attacked. And over 3,700 believers were detained without trial, arrested and sentenced or imprisoned. Now the one significant difference between what has happened throughout the church age and what will happen in the tribulation is that in the tribulation God will personally intervene to destroy and defeat and destroy the evil ruler and to rescue his persecuted saints. So let's go back to our original question. Why does God delay his intervention? And why does God allow his saints to endure persecution? Well, I believe scripture tells us that there's at least four reasons. There may be more. uh, Why God allows hardship for his believers. And it primarily has to do with preparing them for their ultimate destiny. So here are those four reasons. One, it makes us stronger and tougher. Two, it reinforces our dependence on God. Three, it gives us a greater appreciation of God's tremendous power. And four, it makes the saints bolder in their witness. Now let's go through each of these in detail. First of all, hardship makes us stronger and tougher. 
Now, you may have discovered this by now, but God doesn't want his children to be soft. He wants soldiers. The Apostle Paul says this in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 to 5. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Now, we certainly see this example with all of the apostles. Dr. A. Parnell Bailey was a United Methodist minister and an army chaplain. He wrote a syndicated column titled, Our Daily Bread for the Stars and Stripes newspaper. Now, Dr. Bailey once visited an orange grove where an irrigation pump had broken down. That season was unusually dry, and some of the trees were beginning to die for lack of water. The man who was giving the tour then took Dr. Bailey to his own orchard, where irrigation was used very sparingly. These trees could go without rain for another two weeks, he said. You see, when they were young, I kept water from them. This hardship caused them to send their roots deeper into the soil in search of moisture. Now, mine are the deepest rooted trees in the area. While others are being scorched by the sun, they are finding moisture at a greater depth. So, hardship makes us tougher and stronger. Second, hardship reinforces our dependence on God. It helps us realize that we are weak. We cannot rely on ourselves, but that weakness can be turned into strength when we, rel- need, uh, when we learn to rely on God's strength. The Apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8-10. to 10, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You know, I genuinely believe that we will have tremendous responsibility and authority in that coming kingdom. Uh, Jesus' parable of the minas in Luke chapter 19 makes this very clear. I would encourage you to read and study that for yourself. We will need to depend on God to accomplish those duties and responsibilities. So we've seen that hardship makes us tougher and stronger. Hardship reinforces our dependence on God. Third, hardship gives us an appreciation of the greatness of God's power. Now, God has a timetable. Uh, It may not fit our own, but he's never early and he's never late. And if there appears to be a delay, it's because his vision and objectives are different from our own. They're often bigger. Uh, It isn't that he cannot change the situations and circumstances. It's often that those situations and circumstances have not had their complete work done yet. Now, God sometimes delays his intervention so that we get a greater manifestation of his incredible power. Now, one example of this is the story of Lazarus in John chapter 11. The Lord Jesus is told that his friend Lazarus is sick, And Jesus doesn't come right away. He delays for a few days. But by the time he comes, Lazarus is already in the grave. And it appears to be too late. It appears that the Lord Jesus has missed out on the opportunity. But instead, the Lord Jesus raises Lazarus up from the dead. And God is glorified far more 
than if Jesus had just healed him of his sickness. So we see that hardship makes us stronger. Hardship reinforces our dependence on God and hardship gives us a greater appreciation of God's awesome power. And then fourth, hardship makes the saints bolder in their witness. The Apostle Paul wrote the book of Philippians from a jail cell. Now his incarceration and hardship didn't discourage the other saints. Instead, it made them bolder. Paul writes this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 14, Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So let's recap. Hardship makes us tougher and stronger. Hardship reinforces our dependence on God. Hardship gives us a greater appreciation of the magnitude of God's power. And hardship makes saints bolder in their witness. So now let's go back to Daniel. Now we've already mentioned that the revelation that the righteous would suffer at the hands of evil rulers is something that really troubled Daniel. But there may be another reason for that alarm. Now Daniel saw the amazing glory that was going to be given to the saints and what they endured as preparation for that glory and dominion. Perhaps he wondered, am I really prepared for that glory and dominion? Now understand, nothing we do uh, causes us to deserve the marvelous blessings that God has for us. But what we experience here does give us a greater capacity to serve and a greater capacity to enjoy and appreciate the glory of that kingdom. Perhaps Daniel wondered if he had fully taken advantage of the opportunities that God had given him to endure hardship or to reach out in compassion to his fellow saints or to advance a witness for God. Of course, we can't be sure about this, but here's something to consider. Most of us are familiar with the story of Daniel and the lion's den in Daniel chapter 6. Now, the book of Daniel is not laid out in chronological order. Chronologically, Daniel chapter 6 actually happens after Daniel chapter 7. King Belshazzar, who's mentioned in Daniel chapter 7, was defeated by Darius, as is recorded in Daniel chapter 5. When Darius takes power in Babylon, Daniel is appointed as a high official in the kingdom. His other officials, fellow officials, become jealous of Daniel, and so they concoct a plot that requires or forces Daniel to have to choose between devotion to God and his own life. Of course, Daniel chooses to be faithful to God, and as a result, he is thrown into a pit with hungry lions. After an entire night with those lions, Daniel walks out absolutely unscathed. And as a result, he establishes a very impactful witness for God. Now notice that God could have intervened at any point in time, but he chooses to wait until Daniel is right in that lion's den. And as a result, Daniel and the king and others around them experience a much greater manifestation of God's power. We also read in Daniel chapter 9 a marvelous intercessory prayer that Daniel offers up to God on behalf of his people who are enduring tremendous hardship. Daniel seeks the Lord with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. He confesses their sin and he beseeches the Lord to restore Israel to their land. 
Now this happens in the first year of Darius the Mede, which again is shortly after this vision that he is given. So there certainly seems to be a strong correlation between the vision and the events of the latter part of Daniel's life. Daniel was prepared to endure hardship and he was moved to intercede for his fellow believers as a result of what he saw in that vision. So it certainly seems like God was using this vision to prepare Daniel for things that were coming. So we've seen Daniel's response to the message communicated by this vision. What about our response? If our eventual eternal destiny is glory and a kingdom and dominion, we need to be prepared. How do we get there? Well, I think it it begins with having the right long-term and the right short-term focus or perspective. In the long-term, we need to keep our expectation or focus on our ultimate destiny. Our glory and kingdom is not here on earth. Christ's kingdom is our future. Colossians chapter 3, verses 2 and 3 say this, Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. What about our short-term focus? In the short-term, we keep our eyes fixed on the battle. Whether we realize it or not, there is a battle that is going on all around us and we need to be engaged. That means being prepared to stand for the Lord in the places where He has put us. Being ready to give a witness for Him when He gives the opportunity. It means avoiding those things that we know are going to damage our testimony and impact our witness for God. Now, brothers and sisters, some of these things may result in rejection. They may even result in persecution. But we do not compromise. We realize that hardship only strengthens us and builds our faith as we rely on God and His strength. And strengthening ourselves includes spending time in communion with God, spending time in His Word, and allowing Him to build us up for those difficulties. Now, if we're not engaged in hardship ourselves, we focus on helping others, other believers who are. Jesus gave this parable in Matthew chapter 25 that relates to the end times. In verse 34, He says this, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. For I was naked and you gave me drink. So I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. He goes on to say in verse 40, As you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Now this passage tells us that there are times when God allows His children to go hungry and thirsty and naked. He allows them to be rejected and falsely imprisoned. And He does this to test the hearts of those that are around them. Now of course these passages apply primarily to the tribulation period, but that this parable applies to us as well. There are believers right now who are facing tremendous persecution. We need to be focused on praying for them and doing whatever we can to strengthen them. So we started by talking about the book Great Expectations. Well, in that book, Pip 
eventually finds out who his mysterious benefactor is, and it turns out to be someone totally different than he expected. Now, unfortunately, that benefactor had no communication with Pip and no contact throughout his life. He never shared a reason for that marvelous fortune that he had bequeathed to Pip. So Pip was pretty much left to figure it out on his own, and he ended up wasting his life preparing for an imaginary future that never came. Now, as believers, we have something in common with Pip. We have a benefactor who has bequeathed to us an incredible fortune, vast beyond our wildest dreams. Unlike the story in Great Expectations, however, our benefactor has revealed his identity. Uh, he's none other than God himself. And the fortune that has been bequeathed to us is eternal life and a relationship with him. And God has also given us in the Bible a full revelation of our ultimate destiny. Now, if you're listening to this message and you have realized that you are not certain, you're not sure about your ultimate destiny, then I want to share with you that you can know for sure. You can know that you have eternal life, that you will be part of the everlasting kingdom. And it begins with acknowledging that you are a sinner, that you are separated from God because of sin. And the next step is to put your faith, is to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe that he is the Son of God. Believe that he died on the cross for you. The Lord Jesus endured intense agony, more than we can imagine, to pay for your sins and to secure for you a spot in his marvelous kingdom. And the Bible tells us that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, if you've never done that, I urge you to do it. And if you have any questions, please reach out to us through our website at firstcolonybible.org. We would love to talk to you and answer any questions you may have. Now, if you're listening to this message and you're a believer, you know that your destiny is glory and dominion in the kingdom of the Son. We don't have to wonder what the pathway is. God has already prepared it for us and he has revealed it to us. We simply need to follow it. And as saints, we know we, we can expect hardship and loss in that path. But, but it's not something to be avoided or dreaded. In fact, God will use it for his glory and to prepare us for our future. But we just need to be open and alert to what God is doing. Right now, the world is experiencing a global pandemic because of the COVID-19 virus. The people are dying by the thousands and there are many that are experiencing intense suffering. This isn't the future that any of us had expected. Now we can get discouraged and wonder why God is allowing this or why he isn't intervening to stop it. Or we can realize that this time of hardship may be allowed of God so that we can glorify him. This virus is bringing people face to face with their mortality and making them think about and be open to spiritual things. God may give us opportunities to share the gospel and the good news with people who are open to it if we are alert to those opportunities. Perhaps God is using these times to prepare us for something greater. You know, where we invest our energy and effort is a true test of our faith and an indication of where our expectation lies. 
You know, what a shame it would be if we invested all our energy preparing for an imaginary, hopeful future that will never come and instead we miss out on preparing for the future that God has already destined for us. Let's close in prayer. Our God and our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege again that we've had to look into your word. We thank you as a loving and, heaven, uh, and, and benevolent Heavenly Father that you have given us a tremendous fortune. You've given us eternal life. You've given us a relationship with you. You've given us a future, a hope to look forward to. And Father, we want to be prepared for it. Lord, we ask that you would make us alert, give us eyes to see those opportunities that you have given us to to be prepared for that time in the future. Uh, Give us a sensitivity to others that are around us who are suffering, who are going through hardship, so that we might help them. And give us also opportunities to be able to share the good news with others who need to hear it. Lord, we just ask your blessing. We thank you once again. In Jesus' name, amen.